Hello and welcome to Cracking Coca-Cola number 29. This is a review of Marauders number 6. I'm Dave Houston, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today we're looking at Marauders throughout the Cracking Coca-Cola series. We're looking at the entire X-Men line of comics in the wake of House of X and Powers of Ten, the 2019 event spearheaded by comics writer Jonathan Hickman. Throughout its first six issues, Marauders has consistently been my favorite Dawn of X book in the new X-Men lineup, both delivering on the promise of post-House of X innovation and the energy of X-Men comics set in the broader Marvel Universe. Issue number six concludes the series' first arc, revealing the Hellfire power plays of Sebastian Shaw and the potential impact that will have on Kate Pride and her sailing Marauders. Impressively, the issue by Jerry Dugan and Matteo Lali also solidifies Marauders as the X-Men comic most thoroughly integrated into the non-mutant parts of the Marvel Universe, with a variety of surprising character inclusions. Today I'll answer, who are the Marvel Universe villains introduced in this issue? Can Kate Pride be resurrected? How Marauders has neatly threaded a story perpetually grounded in the Krakoa era of X-Men. Hey, if you like the Comic Herald YouTube channel or podcast, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing. You can find full X-Men reading orders as well as the Marvel Universe as a whole on comicbookherald.com. And please note, spoilers for the discussed issues may follow. Marauders number 6 begins where issue number 5 left off, with the Marauders walking into a trap set by a hominous Verendi, a.k.a. Cade Kilgore and the kids formerly known as the Hellfire Club during their early 2010s Wolverine and the X-Men, a series written by Jason Aaron that I would highly recommend. In this case, Verendi has put a variety of villains together to take on Kate, Pyro, Iceman, Bishop, Storm, and Lockheed, and they range from X-Men deep cuts to Jack Kirby and Stan Lee creations from Silver Age Fantastic Four. The first I'll cover is an X-Men deep cut, the Executioner, X-Cutioner, who is both less well-known than an X-Men storyline, Executioner song that shares his name, and the Thor Avengers villain, the Executioner, without the weird X-pun. Like Dugan and Lolly's inclusion of Shinobi Shaw, Executioner is another post-Claremont early 90s X-Men character introduction, a former FBI agent named Carl Denty, who wields alien, likely Shi'ar tech, in some cases Sentinel tech, really anything recovered by slash used against the X-Men. Denty debuted in an Uncanny X-Men Annual 93 with a cover teasing, Where Walks the Executioner? And he set out to avenge his FBI mentor's death at the hands of evil mutants, quote-unquote. In some ways, Executioner is like a punisher for evil mutants, or at least he starts that way, specifically hunting down Mastermind for his crimes. I don't think it's a coincidence that many of Executioner's initial targets were members of the Hellfire Club, like uh, Mastermind, and given Hellfire's obvious impact throughout Marauders. This includes, of course, Emma Frost, who Executioner tried to assassinate around the time of Uncanny X-Men at number 310. As you'd expect from the time period, he was unsuccessful. Nonetheless, that has been his M.O. throughout time as he's wavered between, you know, operating within the bounds of justice and going outside a la The Punisher. The Executioner's costume partner in crime is known as the Hate Monger, who was introduced in Fantastic Four number 21 in the early 1960s as actual Adolf Hitler. Since that time, various creators have made it clear that Hatemonger Persona is a clone of Hitler's, but either way, the intent is a blend of Nazi, clan, and evil incarnate. You can tell Kate is particularly shook slash infuriated by Hatemonger's presence, as she should be. It's worth remembering that Kate is one of Marvel's most prominent Jewish characters, and the mere presence of a villain this vile is an affront to her very being. Much like Red Skull, Hatemonger's hatred knows relatively few limits, extending to any racial minority as well as mutants. He's actually even more offensive than your run-of-the-mill mutant genocide proponent, and that takes some doing. 
The history of the Haymonger is beyond insane. At one point, in I think a 2015 Shield 50th anniversary issue, he tried to assassinate baby President Obama, but suffice to say, he's around. If he's around, he is the absolute, absolute worst. A couple other villains I've already touched on in some capacity throughout Kraken Krakoa that show up, Donald Pierce of the OG Hellfire Club in the Dark Phoenix Saga, and Chen Zhao, the Chinese anti-mutant conspirator we've seen in the pages of Marauders leading up to this point. I particularly enjoy the inclusion of Pierce, who I would say is best known for getting his cyborg arms cut slash ripped off in what was clearly the most acceptable form of violence John Byrne could get away with during the early 80s run with writer Chris Claremont. At one point, Pierce defeats Colossus by letting him riff off his arm, and Piotr just freaks right the heck out, because he just tore a guy's arm off accidentally. Anyway, neither Pierce nor Zen are any more effective in Marauders number 6, getting swiftly tossed off their boat into the drink. The most mysterious villain introduction is Yellow Jacket, a miniaturized Verendi accomplice injected into Pyro's innards by the executioner. Historically, Yellowjacket has been most commonly tied to Hank Pym when he's had enough of calling himself Ant-Man and may or may not be on the verge of a mental breakdown. But even with Hank's well-documented struggles, I don't think he's on the side of mutant exterminators. Uh, He's also sort of connected to Ultron at this point, and while that does make him villainous, it also complicates things in a way that I really don't expect to see in Marauders. For my money, the more likely player is Eric O'Grady, a.k.a. the Irredeemable Ant-Man from the 2006 series by Robert Kirkman and Phil Hester, a.k.a. more recently, Black Ant. O'Grady is a former good-for-nothing S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who steals Ant-Man tech, and has most recently been seen operating as a mercenary alongside Taskmaster in books written by Nick Spencer like Secret Empire and The Amazing Spider-Man. The general disregard for morality, the flippancy of Yellow Jacket's report talking about Christian Frost's incredible wardrobe, all point towards the possibility that this could be O'Grady. <coughs> Excuse me. Given his general incompetence, though, it's very possible that Yellow Jacket is simply another player, someone like previous Yellow Jacket Darren Cross, or even a mutant-hating regular who now has access to this technology. After all, the pro- proliferation of mutant-powered dampening tech has been a major trend throughout Marauders. It stands to reason that Hominus Verende would also get their hands on some pin particles. In addition to all this Marvel Universe connection insanity, the other major moment in Marauders number 6 is Sebastian Shaw stepping out of the shadows and revealing he orchestrated the entire attack in order to murder Kate Pride, and possibly Lockheed, but boy do I hope not. Shaw confidently asserts, he is, if nothing else, a confident asserter, that Kate's inability to use Krakoan gate technology will somehow limit Krakoa's famed resurrection protocols. He references Iceman and Storm's clear desire to stick by her side as evidence for his theory that Kate is perhaps one of the only mutants who can't be brought back. Now, I'll be honest, I see a lot of holes in Shaw's rationale. Yes, Kate can't use the gates, but we've seen her set foot on Krakoa back in Marauders number 1, so it's not like Krakoa is rejecting her very presence. Likewise, we don't yet have reason to believe Mr. Sinister doesn't have a copy of her genetic material, or that Professor X hasn't made a backup of her essence via Cerebra. I've seen some theories floating around here in the YouTube comments of the Comic Book Herald Crack and Krakoa series that one of the Wolverine Adamantium Agenda tie-in issues from before Hoxpox referenced a surprising exclusion from Sinister's mutant database. This little loophole would certainly allow for an out to keep Kate from resurrection protocols, but I don't think the X-Line will move this direction for two, maybe three reasons. One, taking away Kate Pride's mutant gene would be frustrating as hell and lead to no end of controversy. Two, I really think Shaw would have taunted her with this knowledge if he had it prior to her death. And three, 
Why in Krakoa would Professor X keep this a secret from Kate Pride, longtime X-Man? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, at least to me. That said, I love that Shaw can never stop playing the Hellfire Club games where he fights his own mutant kind for profit. Look back to his debut in the Dark Phoenix Saga and you'll see the exact same thing as he explains to Nightcrawler he's most interested in using the X-Men so he can literally sell out mutant kind genetic engineering. In Marauder, Shaw is equally driven by greed, taking out the Red Queen as part of his plot to own seats on the Krakoan Council and increase his own power. And this is what I talk about when I'm saying what a good job Marauders is doing, threading Krakoan connections even as it's telling a story. The Marauders and the pirate ship Kate is leading, they are running missions for Krakoa for mutants who might be trapped outside Krakoan gateways. Shaw and all of the Hellfire mechanics are ultimately always connected back to gaining seats on the Quiet Council, which is this you know idea of mutant government that is very specific to the post House of X powers of ten, you know um, Krakoan era. You do not have a a Quiet Council of mutant kind prior to Krakoa, and I think that's essential for what it is for me that makes a good. Dawn of X book. Obviously, in the span of a couple days now, I've reviewed Excalibur number six and Marauders number six. It's two series in the Dawn of X that have both come to their conclusions, and I've come down on very, very different sides of enjoyment for either of them, right? For Excalibur, I obviously had a pretty negative review of that, and generally, you know, my, my main emotion and takeaway was disappointment in a series that really sort of lost the plot and I think was muddled and didn't connect back to this Krakoan era deliberately and the way that um, Marauders has, but of course, there's also just a matter of personal preference and opinion. And in my assessment, Dugan and Ilali have just crafted a very, very good story within the bounds of X Men and the Krakoan era. I would recommend everybody check out these first six issues of Marauders. It is and remains my favorite Dawn of X uh, early wave book, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to see how Kate gets out of things, how they're going to explain the resurrection protocols, and what Sebastian Shaw's next move is with the Hellfire Club. And, of course, uh, getting seats on the Quiet Council. And and things like figuring out what's Hominus Verendi up to and Yellow Jacket, right? There's a lot of threads here and interesting things to play with. So I'm looking forward to a whole lot more from Dugan and Lolly. Good long run. Uh, if you have thoughts on the book, I'd love to hear them in the comments or over on comicbookherald.com. You can always find me over writing at cbcomicbookherald.com, at comicbookherald, pretty much anywhere on social. And again, if you like the YouTube channel, if you like the podcast, please consider liking, sharing, and subscribing. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and as always, enjoy the comics. Thank you.